This is the last Sunday of the year. So many emotions on the last Sunday of the year. So many emotions on the last Sunday of this year. Am I right? Am I right? Kind of like a mixture between good riddance and are we really going to make it? Isn't that the combination? I mean, I'm, I'm a little nervous that we still have candles lit behind me. I'm like, should we even risk it? You know, should we give 2020 one more swipe at us or should we not? <laughs> But I think um, at, our, at our church here as Christians, we try and develop some healthy disciplines and routines and rhythms. One healthy routine, one healthy discipline, one healthy rhythm that I've been bringing up for a long time now is it's important to close things well and it's important to start things well. So each year we try and use the last Sunday of the year to close the year well. And we use the first Sunday of the year to start the next year well. I think there's great power in starting something well, and there's great power in ending something well. And so uh, take a breath, and we are going to close out this year well together in God's Word. And where do you go after a year like this? What should be the final word? Well, we have to go to the Psalms. I mean... The Psalms is where you find the hymn book of the Old Testament, and whatever you're going through in life, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm for that. Today we're going to go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. You can open up your Bibles to that psalm, and this psalm talks to us about how to manage seasons of doubt and disorientation. Uh, How do we talk to God How do we talk to ourselves when we are in a a season of doubt? This psalmist in Psalm 42 is asking, where do I find God? How can I approach him and worship him again? Psalm 42 is going to be a fitting psalm. I'd like us to study it this morning, but I'd like to also invite you to meditate on it as the year closes out. Let's pray and then we'll get into this psalm together. Father, thank you for the book of Psalms. Thank you that there we find the full expression of human experience, the ups and the downs, the bad and the good, the hard and the easy, and all of the questions that linger in our minds as well. Today, I pray that you would use this psalm to minister to us one last time in this year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 42. The sermon title is My Soul Thirsts for God. And in Psalm 42... It says uh, in the introductory material to the choir master, so this was actually a a work of music that was used for praise and worship during David's day initially. Uh, A masculine of the sons of Korah. So most of the Psalms were written by David, but the sons of Korah were also uh, among those who served in the tabernacle and later in the temple who wrote songs of praise and worship. And so it says this in Psalm 42 verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? The first thing you can write down is this. Is your soul downcast? Is your soul downcast? It says here, as... A deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
Now, immediately, this should trigger a memory, right? How many of you remember? There was a song attached to this verse, right? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you, right? After thee. It was, uh, was that an 80s song? Was it an early 90s song? Uh, it was, it was, well, it was just one of the most popular songs back then, right? And so it's drawn right out of this scripture, and it, it's appropriate because this was originally a song. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. This idea of a soul thirsting, of a soul longing, teaches us about ourselves. We were meant to desire God. We were designed to know Him. But because of the human experience and the providence of God, we often feel like we aren't close to Him. So this idea of thirsting means we need more than what we have encountered, more than what we have experienced. We want more of God in our lives, in our hearts. It's a, it's a desire for awareness. It's a desire for experience. Desiring to know Him, to feel His presence, His power, to trust His promises. So this idea of thirst shows us what it's like to want to be near God. There's also this idea that runs through the psalm of nearness and farness. Uh, being far from God. When shall I come and appear before God? In other words, I'm not where He is. He's one place, I'm in another place. This describes the human experience spiritually. The place of worship during David's time would have still been the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, which Moses erected in the wilderness. Um, and then it would have been Solomon who built the temple. So the tabernacle was like the pre-temple. Still, that was the earthly seat of God's throne and divine glory in the world. If you were to take a tour of Israel today and you went to Shiloh, a place where the tabernacle sat for many years, uh, many Many who still fear God in Israel, Jewish people, will not go where the tabernacle was. They will stay on the bus. They'll let you go check it out. But they know if the Holy of Holies was right here, and you barge in there, you died back in the day, so they don't even want to go on the rocks where it used to be because they're afraid of the presence of God. That's how holy the tabernacle was. And so the psalmist here is longing to be there, is thirsting for more of the living God. And man, he's in a bad state. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Hey, are you battling doubt? Are you battling discouragement? Do you feel the distance between you and God? Uh, has it even sunk you down into despair? Do you identify with what this psalmist is saying? Some of the nuances here help us write this down. Are you spiritually dehydrated? Are you spiritually dehydrated? Like so thirsty for more of God that you don't know if you can go on. Uh, you know, I like to run. And so in 2020, I wanted to, I've run two marathons before, and I decided I wanted to run a third one in 2020, and so then when everything shut down, they weren't doing any of the races, I said, well, I mean, it's just as good of a year as any to, to train, you know, there's a lot more solitude, and you can't go out as much, and so I decided I'd still train up and then run a marathon on my own, right? Uh, and so I was getting ready to run the, the marathon, and, then it, and I was supposed to do it a certain week, and then our whole staff got covid about eight days before I was going to run my marathon, and I thought, 
I'm going to get it. <laughs> I'm going to get it. So I, should, so I decided to go out and run my 26.2 a week early, but it's still, you know, it still worked out pretty well. But when, when you go running, here's a picture of me at the beginning of a race, right? And at the beginning of the race, I feel like fantastic. I'm hydrated. I'm energized. And then here's me at the end of the race. I just want to fall down and quit. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do it anymore, right? And here's a picture from this year when I finally finished that, that full marathon length all by myself in the middle of nowhere. It's a great feeling. But listen, when I'm out running 18, 20, 22 miles, if I miscalculate and don't have enough water with me and I go dry a mile or two before, I am done. I, I can't, the, my pace slows down, my body starts to ache, everything within me says, slow down, slow down, and then it says, stop, stop, and then it says, sleep. <laughs> it doesn't matter where I am. And just like runners need, athletes need fluids, spiritually you need God. Your soul needs God. We want to know that he's with us. And when we don't have him, we fall apart very quickly. Are you spiritually dehydrated? Do you feel like it's just hard to go on? Do you feel exhausted? Like you need more of God to make it? Write this down. Are you filled with many sorrows? Are you filled with many sorrows? He says here in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. Day and night. Are you filled with many sorrows? I mean, this, this guy's weeping sun up to sundown. Is your soul downcast? Are you filled with many sorrows? Lauren and I are in a season now where, we, where the routine annoyances are piling up, right? That's where it all begins. The dishwasher's broken, and when the dishwasher breaks, you put the dishes in, and they come out worse than when you put them in, right? So the dishwasher's broken, and we, we tried to nurse, I cleaned it out and everything, and it's still broke. So right, we're not using the dishwasher, we're doing the old-fashioned way, and then the hose, you know, that you pull out, the hose sprung a leak, like, like I started to do the dishes and the water wasn't coming out. I was like, what is happening? And the water was shooting across the kitchen because there was a leak in the hose. So I did what any man would do a day before Christmas and I got the roll of duct tape and I repaired the hose. And then guess what? It sprung three leaks because the water found a way. And it's one of those systems where when you turn the water on, it starts shooting out. It's not, you don't have to push the button. It creates pressure. And you know, so then you ever see the cartoon where you're trying to like plug the leak? And I've got three rolls of duct tape on this thing. And then, and then the handle fell off of the squirter. <laughs> so it just kept going from bad to worse. Those little annoyances pile up. So I ordered a new dishwasher, right? And uh, it was supposed to arrive and be installed on December 23rd. And I got a call on December 22nd. They said, your dishwasher installation and delivery has been rescheduled to March 23rd. <laughs> so I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. So it's those little annoyances. I've told you about our cars before. We've got one car where the window won't go down anymore. So when I go through the drive drag, I actually have to open up the door. And then a windshield cracked on the other one, and then the muffler broke on the third. All three cars, right? These are routine annoyances. Routine annoyances. I told you a few weeks ago I got a tooth infection, right? So I went in to get that fixed. But then the sinuses got infected too. So I had to go on antibiotics. It's those routine things where at a certain season in life they just pile up. Right? And it's not like significant real crisis stuff, but sometimes it's the headlight going out that makes you snap. You know, right? And a bunch of routine annoyances. 
And this year, on top of it, it just, let's face it, it feels like it was impossible to get into a rhythm or to follow a life schedule, schooling, work. We always felt behind, which added to the crankiness. For us, over the past few years, we've had several serious things, major ministry partnerships collapse, and uh, those have been devastating. Some of them are still unfolding. So there's definitely some serious burdens that we're still carrying. And then we're helping many people in our church through real challenges as well. Two men in our church passed away just within the last few weeks. Pastor Mark had a heart attack um, about three weeks ago. He's doing very well. Uh, walked a mile and a half with him this week, and he's, uh, you know, making great progress. Cardiologist tells him that he, his heart has no lasting damage. Uh, but, but when you have a heart attack, it changes everything. We've had people in our church who've experienced relationships erupting. They're permanently damaged. And I don't know what it is, but if we were to add up the collective burdens that we're all carrying, whether they're routine annoyances or serious problems, and the bottom line is, maybe you feel like you're filled with many sorrows. And maybe you feel like this isn't the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> this is, the Bible told me that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, right? Well, here we are in Psalm 42. Here we are. This is the way it was supposed to be. And if you've gotten to the point where it's hard to get out of bed, even the basics feel unbearable, and you're looking for any distraction to dull the pain, and you're tempted to drift away from God, welcome to Psalm 42. That's why it's in here. And jot this down. Are people making it worse? Are you spiritually dehydrated? Are you filled with many sorrows? And are people making it worse? It says here in verse 3, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So this person's having the trial of his life, and other people are like, where's your God? Where's your God? Huh? In other words, insinuating either that his God is unfaithful or he's the problem. He's the problem. Yeah, God's not showing up for you, is he? Right? You blew it. Or we see in other places in this psalm, that this guy somehow is relocated to the northern section of Israel, probably even beyond the border. So these could be people who didn't worship his God, who are looking at this guy and saying, yeah, where's that God you told us about? You said all these great things about him. Well, he's doing nothing for you. Doesn't it make it worse when people are adding to the problems? Day and night, this guy's low. This year brought him to tears. And then other people are dragging him even further down. Is that what you're facing? Have you been questioned or mocked or berated? Or have other people made this year worse for you? It's okay to feel this way. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God. I need more. I need more. It's okay to feel this way. When shall I come and appear before God? I feel far. It's okay to feel this way. Tears day and night. Other people are asking, where is your God? It's okay. It's okay. Then it says in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the psalmist is talking to his own soul. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? 
And what we learn here is it's okay to feel this way, but the psalmist is saying it's not okay to surrender to these feelings. Maybe it's time to stand up to yourself. Maybe it's time to have a little talk with your soul. Maybe it's time to stop indulging lies about your God. To stop feeding fears about your future. To stop nursing grudges with others. To stop winding up your worries and letting them run around. Maybe it's time to say, why are you downcast, O my soul? Number two, jot this down. Remember, don't forget, is your soul downcast? The first thing the psalmist does here is he remembers. Verse four, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. These things I remember. Remember, don't forget. He's looking back. He's remembering the days when it was easy to worship. He's remembering the best of times. I remember reading uh, Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities, and it begins with the famous line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, <laughs> about the French Revolution, right? And maybe, maybe that's how you feel about this year, right? It's the worst of times, and you need to remember the best of times. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's remembering what it was like when he could go to the national festivals that they would have. He says uh, right here in verse 4, I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. So as a, as a tabernacle leader, he probably was able to be a, a leader of a service. Where I was the one up there singing the solo. And now I'm in the dumps. He's remembering. Remembering is a good spiritual discipline. Forgetting is a bad one. Forgetting. Forgetting is never fun. Am I right? I'm in my early 40s now. And I'm forgetting more. Forgetting. Keys. Don't know where they went. Wallet. Not sure. Sometimes I walk out to the driveway and I'm like, the car is gone. Where did that go? <laughs> and we're coordinating with multiple schedules and everything. Forgetting is never fun. Remembering. When you remember where something went, right? Something important is thrilling. How are you right now at remembering what God has done? Are you suffering from spiritual amnesia? Have you forgotten everything God has done? The discipline of remembering is directly tied to gratitude. Are you remembering or are you forgetting? Remembering. Write this down. Remember the mountaintops. Remember the mountaintops. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers. He remembers the good times. The mountaintop moments would stand for the wonderful things God has done when he answered your prayers, when he provided for you in an unexpected way, when he healed a rupture in a relationship, when he... When he just let you know that he was there, when he brought unexpected encouragement, the mountaintop moments, when everything came together in a way that you couldn't have predicted and God did more than you could ever imagine, that's the mountaintop. When Lauren and I went to Arizona a little while ago, we climbed up, uh, may have been the biggest peak in the region, Camelback Mountain, takes an hour to get to the top. Here's a picture from the top. We got all the way up there and then we got to take some cool pictures and then we realized we had to climb all the way back down, right? They don't have one of those lifts. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. 
Here's another picture of uh, the scenery from the top. From the top! And God will lead you to the top. He will lead you to the mountain. He will lead you where you feel like you're standing on top of the world and everything is as it should be. Remember those mountaintop moments. I challenge us each year to just, at the beginning of the year, to grab an index card. It's what I started doing six years ago. And, and, and start writing down what God has done in your life on the index card. It's as simple as this. So my, my 2020 index card, I actually drew a black flag with a skull and crossbones on it in the upper right-hand corner. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of things where I put a little sad face next to them because a lot of unhappy things happened this year. But I also wrote down, there were some awesome blessings. I call them valley blessings. God did some amazing things this year. And I can tell you what they are because I wrote them down. Maybe you need to do this this week. Grab the index card and write down all of the mountaintop moments from 2020. They're there. You just have to remember them. Remember the mountaintops. Jot this down. Praise your Savior. Praise your Savior. He says here in verse 5, Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Therefore I remember you. I remember you. So this idea of praise, shouting for joy, needs to be your response when you're in the valley. Remember and praise God for what he's already done. Shouts of joy. And what we're, what we're finding here is the psalmist is rummaging through his own heart to see what's in there and then looking at what he's auditing his lips to see what's come out of his mouth. And that's a really good way to process how you're handling the valley. So I told you we got a puppy this year, right? He's a golden doodle. His name's Cosmo. Here's a picture. He was the first one on Christmas down to the Christmas tree. He was very excited. Very excited about Christmas. And um, then everybody else came down. We started opening all the presents. I mean, there's clothes, there's candy, there's all sorts of things he can get into, but all he wanted was the wrapping paper. That's it. And so here's several pictures of me getting the wrapping paper out of his mouth. Here's another one. And he didn't want to let it go. He just wanted the wrapping paper in his mouth. All day long, we probably said it a hundred times. What do you have in your mouth? What do you have in your mouth? What do you have in your mouth? Usually it was wrapping paper, maybe a box or a tag from a shirt, right? This idea of what do you have in your mouth is actually a really good spiritual checkup. What's coming out of my mouth? What do I have in my mouth? Is it praise? Is it pray gratitude? Thank you, God. Or is it grumbling? Is it criticism? Is it doubt? If it's in your heart, it's going to spill out of your lips. Praise your Savior. Yes, you can feel the doubts, the fears. But the psalmist is saying that train of thought is coming off the tracks right here. I'm not going to let those doubts, those fears, those worries control me. So number one, is your soul downcast? Number two, remember, don't forget. Number three, pray, don't panic. Write that down. Pray, don't panic. He says in verse 6, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Nazar. So he's very far north, beyond the, likely the borders of Israel at that time. We don't know how he got there, but he's like out of the country. And he feels so far away from where God's presence is. 
And then he says in verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Several Christian songs have kind of been drawn from that image too, right? As deep cries out to deep, as deep cries out to deep. Doesn't it just gives you this picture of a waterfall, flowing water, right? It sounds kind of tranquil. Deep is calling out to deep. No, it's actually very terrifying. It says here, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me, which means the psalmist is underneath the waterfall. <laughs> oh, that's such a pretty song. Deep cries out to deep. No, 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 he's drowning. That's what it's about. He's drowning. Let's not sing about it. Unless you feel that way. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? There's a lot here that we're going to dig out. But it's important to know that verse 8 is the center of the psalm. Therefore, everything revolves around verse 8 where he says, the only like affirming statement of faith in the psalm, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. It's like he knows it and everything else that feels wrong is rotating around that. It's a prayer. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Is that what everything in your life is rotating around? Prayer. Pray, don't panic. And it's, it, this idea of pouring out your soul keeps coming up here, right? Pouring out, pouring out your soul. He says in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Pray, don't panic as you pour out your soul. We've got a, a, a Keurig coffee maker upstairs in the new wing, and so I like to use that somehow. Uh, in the Christmas frenzy of getting stuff ready for Christmas services, I put the, the Keurig, the cake up in there, put it down, put the water in there, turned it on, and then didn't get the cup underneath. So I went away, came back, and the Keurig had poured all over the counter with no cup, and I just stood at it like, <laughs> I'm losing it. <laughs> That's what the psalmist is doing with his heart. He's just pouring it out all over the counter. Pouring it out. You know what happens if you don't pour it out to God? You hold your breath. And you start turning blue. Failure to prayer is like holding your breath. And then you eventually will let God hear it. But it won't be in the most sacred manner. When you blow your top, you're like a pop bottle being shaken. Oh, oh it'll come out. Pray. <clears throat> Don't panic. And then there's a lot of good descriptions here. It says, as deep cries out to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So write this down. Pray, don't panic, even when it feels like you are trapped underwater. <laughs> I like that. Pray, don't panic, even when it feels like you are trapped underwater. Do you feel this way? Do you feel sunk? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like you can't catch your breath? Do you feel, and, then, and then what happens is, the question again and again, verse 9, why? Why? Verse 11, why? Verse 5, why? 
Why? Is that, is that you? Here's a picture of Niagara Falls. And just imagine being at the bottom underneath that. Right? Here's another picture of the falls. Imagine that. Found a newspaper article that in, uh, on July 9th of 1960, a seven-year-old boy went over the falls. Here's a picture of the article. And he survived. He survived. He's in a boat with his 17-year-old sister and then a guy who took them out to show them the falls. Boat broke. Engine broke. The guy said, swim for your lives. The girl made it to shore. The boy did not. Boat went over. The guy died. Seven-year-old boy, protected only by a life preserver, swept over roaring Niagara Falls, picked up alive after he fell 165 feet. Police said at that time no one else had ever survived a plunge over the falls except daredevils encased in elaborate barrels and other shock-resistant containers. 17-year-old sister was saved at the top of the falls, terrified. Authorities were at a loss. How to explain the 7-year-old boy surviving the buffeting of the plunge, which dumped him into rock-pocked whirlpools below the falls and smashed... It smashed the outboard uh, motorboat to pieces. Here's a picture of the falls again. So he, seven-year-old, went over that. Seven-year-old went over that and then was picked up at the bottom. So this right here is where the psalmist is in, in Psalm 42. And that's where you are going to be in this life. You might be there right now. This will make you think the next time you sing, as deep cries out too deep <laughs> because you're dying. That's what it's about. Hey, pray don't panic even when it feels like you're trapped underwater and you're wondering why, why, God, why? And then um, it, says, it says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, I love that statement of faith, my, God is my rock. Why have you forgotten me? So write this down. Even when it feels like God has forgotten you. Pray don't panic even when it feels like you're trapped underwater. Even when it feels like God has forgotten you. The psalmist is saying, why have you forgotten me? Can you imagine, you know, back in the day when we had Sunday school and you'd take your little prayer request. Can you imagine the whiteboard was up there? Uh, yeah, you, what's your prayer request? I feel like God has forgotten me and I just want to know why. Can you write that on the board, please? Oh, oh dear, sure. We don't say that, do we? Psalmist does. I feel like God has forgotten me. One of the best Christmas movies of all time is, of course, Home Alone, right? The entire family goes to Paris and forgets uh, the little boy behind. Here's a picture of him after he realizes he's been forgotten by his entire family. There he is. And, uh, and the wet bandits are stalking the house. They want to steal everything. and let Is that how you feel? You feel like God has forgotten you. That you are home alone. Maybe you feel that way. Neglected, forgotten, abandoned, disregarded, benched. That's how the psalmist feels. Why have you forgotten me? Pray, don't panic. Even when it feels like you're trapped underwater, even when it feels like God has forgotten you, write this down, even when your bones are in agony, 
even when your bones are in agony? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He's got agony in his bones. The cause here is godless people who don't really care about him. So in general, this could be people letting you down or making your life hard spiritually or for other reasons, but relational conflict, let's face it, is one of the most agonizing things you can go through in this life. And the closer you are or were with the person, the harder it is. Do you feel like your bones are in agony because of relational problems? Pray to your loving God. I like what Tim Keller says in his book on prayer. He says, people debate if prayer is about resting in God's promises and asking thy will to be done, or wrestling with God for a blessing. And the, his answer is it's both. You have to rest in the, presences, in the presence and promises of God, and you have to wrestle. You have not because you ask not. You have to wrestle for what you want him to do for you. It's both. So are you praying or are you panicking? When you feel like you're trapped underwater, when you feel like God has forgotten you, when you feel like your bones are in agony, are you praying to your loving God? Or are you holding your breath? Number one is your soul downcast. Number two, remember, don't forget. Number three, pray, don't panic. And then number four, hope, don't despair. Hope, don't despair. He says in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? hope in God. He's preaching this to himself. He's preaching to the mirror, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hey, preach it to yourself. He's my rock. I shall praise him again. He's going to come through for me. This isn't how the story ends. My head's going to come up from under these waters. You've got to tell yourself these things. He is refusing to settle for where the dark currents of his soul are dragging him. And you should fight the currents too. Believe the happy ending that's guaranteed by God. Be honest with him. And rightly assess when you're at spiritual low points. Are you at a spiritual low point? What unhealthy or ungodly habits usually come up when you hit spiritual low points? Talk to God about it. Preach to yourself about it. Put your hope in God. The psalmist is challenging us after the most disorienting year of our lives to face the future with hope. This is the end. It's fitting that the last word we reserve for today, for Advent, is hope. And we've lit the candles all along leading up to the, the end, the week after Christmas, when this formally comes to a close. But hope is looking ahead. We've looked back to the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now we look ahead. He's promised to come back. He's promised to return. He's writing the end of the story. Not you, not your enemies, not your trials. He's writing it. And so we close out this Advent season with hope, looking ahead to Christ who will return. Hey, is your soul downcast? Remember, don't forget, pray, don't panic. 
and make sure that you hope and don't despair. Let's pray together right now. Father, I pray that this psalm would meet people where they are, whether they feel like they're a million miles away from you, whether they feel like they're sunk deep underwater and they can't catch their breath, whether they feel dehydrated. However they're feeling, I pray that they would just be honest with you about that. Lord, I pray that they would pour their hearts out before you. Help us, Lord, as a church to end years well by bringing it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, by bringing it all to you and resting in the promises that you have made while wrestling for the ending that you have decreed. Lord, I just pray that you would help to heal our hearts from this year, help to meet us in powerful ways. Lord, I pray that you would shepherd us well through the, the dark valley. And I pray that you would, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord, that you would satisfy us. I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we look ahead to a new start, a new beginning. Help us to get ready for that. You knew everything that would come about this year. Walk us faithfully across the finish line. Get us ready for next year. Jesus, we thank you that you are our rock. You are the living water. You alone are the one who can lead us safely into the kingdom forever. So help us to place our eyes on you, to follow you wherever you go without fear, filled with hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.